that it's important to know the structure, it's important to come prepared. For me personally, if I would have to join the whiteboarding challenge tomorrow and I don't have structure in mind, that would mean literally fail. If you have structure, at least you're guided. If At least you can focus on the challenge rather than, oh, what do I do? Like messy process. Oh, I don't know what's next. Oh, how do I ask questions and spending too much time in one section over another one? If you have a structure in mind, it's then much easier to make it smooth and focus on an actual challenge and then the process will guide you. Hello, everybody, and welcome on the next episode. My name is Anfisa, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Ilana. And today we're going to talk about whiteboarding challenge. So expect from us talking about all the what's, when, how, tips and tricks, and typical things like that. So our goal for today is to understand how do you go through the whiteboarding challenge, particularly if you are applying to a job. But before we dive into the episode, uh, I would like to remind you that we actually have the sponsor of this episode, and I will hand Ioana the microphone to talk more about it. Yes, I'm always super excited to talk about it. We are sponsored by Spline, which is a tool for 3D design. And it makes 3D design accessible to everyone. So now you don't have to be super sophisticated visual graphic designer to understand how to create 3D design elements. Anyone can do it. It's a tool that democratizes 3D design, which is great because I can also benefit from that. <laughs> so I'm not a very, uh, let's say, I don't have a lot of experience in Illustrator or working with, I don't know, more complicated tools like Unity or whatever, but I am very good with learning uh, 3D design lately, thanks to Spline. And an interesting feature that I've explored in the past couple of days is, so we all know that we love gradients with spline beta they've introduced 3d gradients which is like the best gradient that you can get it's just gorgeous so i'm i'm trying to achieve very nice designs i'm experimenting right now and i plan on using them in my social media posts as well to kind of spice up things a little because it can get very boring after many many years doing the same visual style with ux goodies I'm very excited that i have a, a partnership with spline and that spline is sponsoring our conversations our honest ux socks which is great so Apart from that, Pisa, very quickly, um, if you have anything, any updates, anything that you want to share from your past couple of weeks. <laughs> sure. Yeah, nothing radically changed. I'm still onboarding in my new company. It's been actually one month already and it's going really great. I think we can talk about it more in the next episodes, but so far I'm really, really enjoying my choice. <laughs> I think I mentioned a couple of times that I was dealing with like a hard choice between one company and another one. And I'm really happy about what I chose today. I feel like it's fulfilling me. I'm satisfied. I'm happy about dynamics. I'm happy about the experience I'm having as an employee. <laughs> and, and I'm really excited about the challenge uh, and challenges I'm facing because it's definitely like a sweet spot where the product is still not, you know, heavy, full of legacy, full of customers that we cannot change anything. And like, it's very hard to push things. I'm kind of working in a startup setup in an established startup company. <laughs> so we have the luxury of building and breaking things, testing them quickly, having a couple of hypotheses, any ideas to test every sprint. And like it's a speed I haven't been working on for a very long time and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's kind of more in my element. Yes, yeah, so far I have lots of lots of great experiences. We're having fun. We're meeting with my team in a very unusual context, like discussing the strategy at 9 a.m 
over the beer in the bar or we're having instead of coffee we're going to shisha bar and it's discussing the customer journey mapping and i'm talking to researchers all the time and i'm talking to the team every day it's really amazing in terms of the communication and i got to go to the office i gotta meet them in person meaning that we have much more tools to communicate to understand each other to build the empathy for each other and it's just a very different story so i'm really happy so far i'm sure there will be cons also that i will discover later in the game but uh so far everything has been great at, at least at my work but i'm hoping by the moment when this episode is out the war is already finished i don't know if it's still but so far living in the war life balance and uh like like we discussed in the previous episodes working work coming back home catching up with the news and thinking about it all the time but but basically it's the reality we're all in it right now and i do hope that it will be over very very soon how about you Ivana? any new exciting things you want to share well there are a couple of things been through most of them in the past episode but definitely something that i didn't talk about is the huge joy that i'm experiencing because some of the mental bootcamp students now have their first design jobs which is absolutely thrilling and I think when I started this UX bootcamp, I didn't really understand what was the potential reward or the hypothetical goal that I had in mind. But now that I see our students finishing and having their first uh, case studies in their portfolio and their portfolios are super competitive and they look great and they actually land design jobs, that's super rewarding. That's like the best feeling in the world. It's something that I'm very lucky to experience, but also I'm very happy that I'm building relationships with these people that are just transitioning in the UX role and we get to guide them and we get to help them. And so this has been a very uh, celebration oriented kind of a period with Mental Design Academy. So we're really lucky to get to do that. And I'm super excited for the cohorts that we're building right now. So yeah, happy times for many people that are landing their first design jobs and for me above anything because I get to support them in this journey and with my team of mentors as well. And we'll be joined by new mentors within Mental Design Academy. The the bootcamp is growing. That's that's unbelievable. I mean, I thought when when I started out it was like just playing around with the small project, but now it became part of my identity. It's my life. Like my UX bootcamp. I love it. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's a happy thing that I didn't get to mention uh, in the last episode. So with that, I'm super excited to talk about the topic for today, but I'm going to let you introduce it, my dear Anfisa. <laughs> of course. So yes, let's rewind. Uh, our topic for today is whiteboarding challenge. How do we go through it? What to expect, what to prepare, etc., etc. So with that being said, I guess let's start and I'll basically again hang the microphone to you, Joanna, and let's talk about what actually whiteboarding challenge is. Okay, so whiteboard exercises are basically part of the hiring process for a UX role. Not all the time, but most companies, especially big companies or companies that have a more mature design process or at least a, a design team of any kind, they involve whiteboard challenges that typically involve the design team. If it's a team of 60 designers, they're not all going to be in your whiteboard challenge. But some of the members of the design team, probably the ones you'll be working most closely with, will be part of the whiteboard challenge. And sometimes even people who are uh, not designers, but that you will be working closely with like product managers or like uh, 
a front-end developer, maybe someone from the business side or anything. So they're basically a stage of the design hiring process in which you're basically given a prompt, a design challenge on the spot, and you have whiteboard available to solve it. That's what it is in, in a nutshell. I would say like also to add the context is that it's a stage where your thinking is being tested because during the hiring process, most likely you've been already tested for your motivation when you were talking to your design manager during the interviews then you most likely presented your portfolio so they understood how you worked with some challenges in the past and then most likely after portfolio presentation actually have been also like on the challenges when it was partly portfolio presentation the second part was the whiteboarding challenge but usually goes like literally one after another or one before another but mainly it will be like again to understand your thinking on spot so like you want to said, you will be given the prompt, you will be a, given a fun challenge. Usually it's something silly, something like, I don't know, hairdressing salon for whatever dogs or whatever, like something really not so complex. Sometimes it could be complex, of course, if it's like an enterprise and it's a complex product, sometimes boring product. But most of the challenges I've been at was like funny exercises when you got to solve a problem and they just see your thinking as you go through it. So Keep in mind the context that it's all about understanding how you go about solving the problem. That being said, Joanna, do you want to talk a little bit more about how to structure your whiteboarding challenge? So let's let's kind of role play and imagine what if tomorrow I have a whiteboarding challenge. First of all, how it will be happening? What's the structure? How long it will take? Give me like a context there. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely just for setting up the context for the perspective which I bring to this exercise, I've been on both sides of the fence, if you want. I've also been applicant going through whiteboard challenges, but I've been an interviewer for people applying and we've had whiteboard challenges in our office and people come over and I was part of the interviewing team. So I've seen both sides of the story. I think in terms of very practical information, whiteboard challenges typically last 30, 40 minutes, maybe up to one hour, but I don't think they're longer than one hour in any place because it, it's pretty draining. It's pretty intense for the candidate and you don't want to be an abusive <laughs> employer. So definitely, I think 30, 40 minutes is typically how long they last. Sometimes they're even very clearly time boxed. Other times there's more wiggle room if you take longer or if you want. But many times they've been time boxed and we've learned from iterating and improving our recruitment process that time boxing the whiteboard challenge works best even for the employer's perspective because you get a sense of the candidate's ability to, to plan out things in order to achieve a small deadline if you want. So, so that's one thing. How do you go about the whiteboard challenge? I think that uh, there are a couple of ways to go about it always keep in mind like Anfisa said that what the employer is looking at is your thinking process and uh, they also want to look at at least what we were doing when we were interviewing and I think it's something that all employers have as a secondary goal they want to look at the area in which you're most comfortable to be in so We've seen many, many people and we've seen a lot of variety in terms of where candidates choose to spend time in. So some candidates will be very comfortable jumping to sketching out solutions, just doing screens, going in the UI side very quickly, while other candidates, maybe they're not as comfortable as the UI people and they want to spend more time in the research space and ask more questions, go into more depth when it comes to figuring out the problem they have to solve. And so 
you get a feeling of what that candidate is most passionate about, the, the stage of the design process in which they're most experienced in, and whether the areas that they choose to spend time in, if there is a match between your need for that particular. So, for example, if I don't want someone who's very UI-versed, but they're very strong at research, I'm going to be uh, inclined to favor someone who spends more time figuring out the problem, unpacking the problem, understanding the problem space, than to someone who just jumps into drawing screens. So none of them are bad if you want, essentially, but they're just showing who you are as a designer. And that's great because you want to be honest. You want to show the employer what you're passionate about and who you are. But it may be that employers look for different things. And so you will tell them (laughs) sometimes even involuntarily what you're best at. So with this disclaimer, if you want, I would say that all the time, regardless of the space you're most comfortable in, you should start by clarifying the challenge, by extracting as much information as possible. So you will be given a prompt that most of the time is pretty high level. It's pretty open. So there's not a lot of constraints around it. There isn't so much detail because most employers want to leave it open, want to leave it as broad as possible so you can go out and explore and see how you operate with uncertainty and how well you're able to extract information as well part of the process. So start by clarifying the challenge and asking more questions. I think that this is something very important to the success of this kind of interview. So I would say always, always start with asking more questions. Ask about what are the target users? What might be their pain points? Maybe if you want to show that you're a more experienced or senior designer, ask about what's the business objective behind this challenge. Ask about technical constraints. Do we have any constraints that we need to operate within? Ask about the device you're designing for, just to set things clearly from the the very beginning and so on. So try to extract as much information as possible. We once had an applicant in a whiteboard challenge that was just brilliant at asking questions. We decided to hire him even before he was able to finish the or even moving into the second half of the whiteboard challenge because he was asking meaningful questions. He was very thoughtful about what he's supposed to do. He took things seriously. He treated like, even though it's like Anfisa said, many times it's like a very playful challenge. Many times it's just like design a space travel app or design something that's sometimes even absurd. But even if it, that's the challenge, you want to show your best process. So you want to be serious about it. You don't want to be too playful. So ask real questions. Ask questions as you would in a normal setup without getting too right, too stuck in them. Because sometimes you might not know something and you can't say, okay, then I don't know how to solve this because I don't have that info. And But you can say things such as in real life or in given more time or given more resources, I would explore this part of the research problem or I would talk to users from this group or I would do this thing. You can talk about you what you would hypothetically do given more time, resources and in another context. You can say that, but always advance on the whiteboard exercise. Don't get stuck. So after you clarify the challenge, I think you should start ideating. Uh, so asking the questions, but also now you have a couple of insights, right? So don't ignore those insights, write them down. Whiteboard is about filling out the whiteboard if you want. So write down whatever insights, whatever answers you get, write down interesting, maybe research ideas or assumptions that you might have because you don't know anything, right? Because you haven't talked to users. So you're, you're operating with a lot of assumptions, but write everything down and then start thinking about what might be the features that could be needed in that context of the problem space. So 
what I typically do is that I list a couple of features that might be relevant to solving the particular problem I'm working with. And then from the features, I start drawing the user flows and I start sketching out high level customer journey. I try to understand what would be the scenario, the user stories that go into that solution. You just need to do a mini version of your design process very quickly. So after the research, obviously you ideate, you, you come up with solutions, do that. You can do it in writing. I tend to just jot down what kind of features or what kind of solutions might go into my final solution. So I think I jumped too early in advice. I got carried away because I like, I'm, I think I'm passionate about whiteboard exercises. I didn't even know that. So yeah, so after you ask a lot of questions, maybe move into the solution space, explore different solutions, potential flows, and then eventually in the last part, you can even draw some screens. At all times, think about what else you would be doing in more comfortable <laughs> context if you want. So I think I really went sideways with my description. Ampisa, what are your thoughts around uh, <laughs> how whiteboard challenge is typically structured? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 this is great. I love that you set up the context with a lot of details to it. So I think it definitely is useful. Let me let me think if I can add something to it. Let's, let's come back to the high level perspective. The whiteboarding challenge I usually had in the past was for the challenge, I was given 45 minutes, but then 15 minutes for Q&A. Now, if it comes to like structuring the whole challenge, I think that, like you have said, it's kind of important to know the structure. It's kind of important to come prepared. For me personally, if I would have to join the whiteboarding challenge tomorrow and I don't have structure in mind, that would mean literally fail. If you have structure, at least you're guided. If at least you can focus on the challenge rather than, oh, what do I do? Like messy process. Oh, I don't know what's next. Oh, how do I ask questions and spending too much time in one section over another one? If you have a structure in mind, it's then much easier to make it smooth and focus on an actual challenge and not worrying about the process because at the end, the process will guide you. So for me personally, what helped was having like some sort of structure broken down into three stages. I would usually always follow the design thinking structure. If the challenge is about 45 minutes long, I would break it down into slots of 15 minutes. In the first slot, in the first section, I would try to do like interviews. So first 15 minutes for interviews, sort of role play with somebody I'm on the challenge with to ask a lot of questions. Maybe somebody's pretending to be a PM and I'm asking them questions and, or a business owner and I'm asking them, okay, what problems you have, whatever, like what's the measure of success and blah, blah, blah. All the typical questions you would usually ask during the first stages of your project. Now, the second sections, another 15 minutes, I would allocate to try to understand and converge of what I've learned. Maybe again, from what I've heard, build the hypothetical kind of customer journey, like you said, draw my hypothesis, my assumptions, things I would want to validate if I were going to do the research gaps I have spotted or like opportunities I can see here given the information I received from the interviews. So first section again, interviews, second section is converging and kind of clarifying it usually on the user journeys. Third section would be to kind of explore the solutions. And I would usually also give it 15 minutes. Again, based on the customer journey, I just mapped down. I can start really quickly, really roughly draw the wireframes, maybe again, based on this customer journey, before, during, after, uh, ideas, quick sketches around, depending on how much time you have. But the challenging, the most challenging thing would be to not get carried away with one or another section, because as you start 
interviews where in the beginning you most likely will be struggling with like finding the right questions and then you might get into this <laughs> stage very well and you start thinking about it more and now it's the end of 50 minutes and you feel like oh i just get a hang of it and i want to ask so many more questions but time is already restricting you and you have to move on to the next stage because otherwise you will run out of the timeline so it, it's challenging definitely it's something that we can discuss for the tips and tricks how we try to manage the timeline Normally, again, the challenge is to be able to keep up with the timeline and make sure you cover everything stage by stage. The balance is pretty important. When I was going through the whiteboarding challenge just in December, when I was looking for a job, the timeline was the hardest thing. So having structure helped, asking a lot of questions helped, but the timeline was the hardest thing. And I definitely had to practice more to keep it up. <laughs> but the last thing I wanted to also say about the structure is that once you finish your challenge once the time is up if you're using the fig jam or mirror whatever the tool of the choice of that company once you hear the clock is like done no like put your pens down and you can't draw anymore and whatever most likely you'll have like a little slot for q a's another tip i would like to give here is maybe think of it as the debrief stage maybe you can say like like i feel like i could have done better there maybe you can reflect on what just happened but you can also ask the questions to your potential team about are there any questions you still feel like I didn't address or concerns? Maybe I can get back to them and clarify some of the things. Was there something you didn't get from what I was doing? Like, let's let's debrief basically on what just happened. I really love to do this because this gives an understanding to the team that you actually care about the process to, to iterate, to reflect, to improve, to have this always like iterative mindset of going through the process and being able to learn from your mistakes so to say so that's another part which is not always talked about but i feel like it's an important part also to give a perspective on how you work oh and last thing i also wanted to mention since we're still talking about the structure is that in my past i've also experienced having three types of whiteboarding challenges uh, one is on site which is basically the best way it's it's at the office it's more engaging it's like it's easier to understand each other it's easier to ask questions it's easier to pick up the energy from from your stakeholders and kind of based on this um, so there is an on-site challenge where you go into the office then there is an online challenge which obviously was happening most of the times in the past two years due to COVID. And so that means like most likely it was like Fig Jam or Miro where you will be jumping into a specific board. Most likely the team will send you a link. And uh, in that case, having a structure would really, really be helping because you're not able to engage with them physically. So at least help yourself by having a structure. And what I was doing in the past was preparing like a Fig Jam board. Uh, and just as soon as I given the prompt, I will just copy paste that board into their Figma or their Miro board, whatever is used. And then again, it guides me. And I would even use like the timer to kind of make myself following the, the, the timeline. And the last one, which also happened to me once, it's another structure, which I think I experienced only once, but I would call it in and out whiteboarding challenge, where I was also given one hour. When I joined the call, there were like six people on it and they gave me that the brief, which was like a PDF document. And I could have read this document during the first 10 minutes, ask the questions, which was actually pretty, pretty challenging to be completely honest, because everybody's watching you, you're reading the document, you have to quickly see the questions and it's a long document with complex words, it's kind of hard at that point, it actually threw me off. But the point is, I remember, so I was given 15 minutes to be 
on the call. And then I was given 45 minutes to close the meeting, go back to whatever offline setting I'm using, uh, sketch out the, the challenge on whatever medium I want. Usually I would go for like a sketches. Actually, I printed out persona template, like the paper print. And I was kind of playing around on my offline setting. And then when the hour was up, I had to present my papers <laughs> to the camera and walk through my process. So it's like a very strange way, like in and out, I would call it because you're online, but you're doing it physically in your setup. And it's kind of harder to present, but you can maybe send it also to your computer and share your screen and present the photo. But it's more of this augmented way of doing whiteboarding challenge, which to me personally, logistically is not the best way. These are the types of things that could happen to you as well. So I think that one of the main pieces of advice, which is somehow implicit if you want, but I still want to say it out loud, is to think out loud. <laughs> A nice pun I did there. So yeah, so think out loud is something that feels like it's implicit, especially if you're in your first or in, in your junior designer doing a whiteboard challenge, you might not even remember to think out loud and just start sketching, writing. But remember at all times that what the interviewing team wants to see is your thinking process. So you have to show them your thinking process, give them a glimpse into what goes on in your brain. So very important, think out loud and describe at all points everything you're doing, even trade-offs, even doubts, even things that you feel, oh, I don't want to look insecure. It's totally fine to be insecure when you're solving a design challenge all of a sudden with a lot of unknowns. So it's it's totally fine to doubt and, and just, just show your thinking process as it happens. This is what they want to see. Another point that I want to make is based on a recent conversation that I saw on a Facebook group that I very much enjoy being on. It's called Women in UX, and it's just great. A lot of interesting, insightful conversations going on. And one of the members was worried that when she had a recent whiteboard exercise where she felt like she did a pretty good job, she was worried about the fact that she made like two pauses, longer pauses, if you want, to think. And she was worried that maybe that will show that she wasn't confident enough or that she wasn't fast enough. And I gave her the answer that, from my perspective, Pausing to think is like something that I would appreciate in a candidate, not not at all judge or say, ah, that, it's, that's not okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. It's absolutely advisable to pause, to think about what you're doing. You don't have to like talk all the time. You don't have to rush the exercise. You don't have to like sprint through the stages and feel like you're, you're constantly talking and constantly sketching. And so it's, it shouldn't be like that. You should also be mindful about what you're doing, be intentional. And obviously you need pause moments where you just regroup and, and figure out, okay, what's the next thing that I want to do? And also after every important phase, like ever after you've finished asking questions, you can make a pause and tell them, okay, thank you for your answers. I'm going to think for two minutes now, think about all the insights that I have and try to understand what's the best way to move forward. And so you can even tell them, let them know that you need two minutes break to think about everything that you've just learned. And that shows maturity. It doesn't show that you're hesitant or anything. So do that. And also be intentional about each 
of the next stages. So whenever you move from one stage to another, try to tell them what you plan on doing next. So, okay, now that I have this research insights and I do have parts that are missing. So I would have liked to given more time and resources, learn more about whatever behavior or learn more about whatever user need. But under the circumstances, I will assume this uncertainty, I will own it and move into the next stage where I plan on ideating uh, or exploring potential features that might solve some of the problems that we know about. And so tell them, be intentional even when you're thinking out loud. So tell them what, what you will be doing next, because that shows that you're not just doing random things, but that you can sort of have a plan and have a process, which is the point of the whiteboarding challenge. The third point I want to make, and probably my last you, you should think of it as a conversation. So it's, it's not that you are giving the challenge and then you're on the stage and they're the audience, they're, they're behind a wall, you're putting on the show for, for the interviewing team. It's not like that. It's, it should be a conversation. You should involve them as much as possible, continue to ask questions, continue to participate, engage in a conversation with them. Not too much. I mean, you would, you do want to advance on your whiteboard challenge. It shouldn't be just a, uh, an informal conversation, but don't treat it like a, a one man, one woman show, but be more, be engaged with them as much as possible because they are your acting source of information and you need that. So Anfisa, if you want to add to my top three pieces of advice. <laughs> Um, those are great tips. I, th I think I have some tips around maybe how to prepare to it. Maybe I'll start again with like an implied tip, but maybe it's useful to hear as well. So you keep in mind that I definitely recommend rehearsing your test challenge before, especially if you have never done it in the past and uh, you feel intimidated, you feel like you don't know what to expect, you don't know how you will perform, you don't know if you'll have energy or focus or you'll get nervous and all of that. So giving yourself like a bite-sized experience before doing it live could help you actually to feel more confident, prepared, know what to expect and doing it in a less stressful way, I guess. By saying that, I mean that you can actually find someone you can test it with. By doing this, I mean that you can maybe find a mentor, even through some mentoring platforms and kind of ask them for help by sort of role playing this challenge. Or even let's say if you don't find a mentor who has an experience doing the whiteboarding challenge, you can at least ask a friend or whatever partner to be there for you and that partner might ask you some questions but at least you will go through this and at least you will practice it not maybe necessarily with people who have experience in doing this but at least you went through this and it in your head you have a structure you can follow it gives you the confidence it gives you some certain level of understanding of what to expect rather than being stressed out about oh my god what what if what if what if you know uh, that's the first tip i would give uh second off for me personally it was hardest to start so you're given the prompt it's a new context you're not involved in that context yet you don't have like a like a setup you don't have an understanding of what's going on there so you kind of have to start by asking a lot of questions but you might feel like oh so, so what questions do i start from uh, how do i get it like going and for me personally the hardest thing was to start asking the right questions and to prevent that kind of blocker or like this awkward moment when you don't know how to start it, my tip would be here to prepare like a list of kickoff questions 
which are usually very, very classic and typical, something like, you know, so who's the user? What do we know? What are the measure of success? What data do we have? And just like a classic questions you would ask anyways from your stakeholders if, for example, you would be doing the freelance project. All the classic questions, but prepare this list, maybe have it in front of you or have some sort of cheat list next to you especially if you're online and it's easier to have something right on the second part of your screen. But having the kickoff list can help you to start your thinking engines flowing and to kick off the process more dynamically and sort of not waste time by trying to kind of get into the context. So that's the second uh, tip. And um, now as you are going through this process, as you already collected some information, got some answers, brainstormed on some now, in the second stage, which I usually would call converging those insights, I would definitely say that this is a space when you need to think out loud more dynamically, because if in the first stages you would still try to understand, you would need to think to prepare the next question, it's totally normal to take breaks. For me personally, on the second stage is when I kind of start analyzing it. If I were interviewing you, I would be most interested in hearing. So for me, I'm looking how you kind of uh, look for opportunities, look for gaps that you might then reframe into the research objectives, uh, look for how you form the hypothesis and stuff like this. So this is, again, the, the space when your thinking or analysis is like spi spiking, <laughs> if that's the right word, and you can see how you're tackling the problem, how you're looking for ways to solve it, thinking about the current situation, how you're analyzing it, how messy you are, how many opportunities you're looking for, how you prioritize those opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on. The point is, like, think about the opportunities, gaps for research, and hypothesis, because these are the, in, in, like, very important nuggets of information that even though this is a hypothetical challenge, in the real context, will be the data or action points for you to actually run your project based on. So it would be useful to hear again, those opportunities, gaps, and hypothesis. And the last tip here, and it's actually building based on what you were saying about the conversation. I really like that point because uh, it's true that if you're treating it like you're performing something, it's much easier to get stressed and think that, oh my God, did I make this like pause, awkward moment and stuff like that, rather than, you know, a conversation which, which is supposed to be kind of both ways and building up on what you are saying about the conversation. I like to think of design whiteboarding challenge as if I were working with these people already, as if we were solving a problem we have discovered and we kind of try to brainstorm on ways to solve it. So again, imagine you're working with them already. And if you're working with them and, uh, and you have one hour to kind of brainstorm on ideas, it's not for you to present something existing or it's not for you to entertain them it's 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 a space for you guys for all the team to get together and kind of play around and figure out the ideas and that's the moment when they see you in action and how you can all work together so it's like this i guess rehearsal if you think of it as a rehearsal as if you think of it as an actual design meeting you're having with them maybe it's going to be easier for you imagine you're already working with them that's it so yeah that would be my last tip, I guess. Let's just go into the uh, key takeaways for today's conversations and recap on what we have learned today. Um, would you like to start, Ioana? Definitely. And like I always do, I think I start going backwards to where we began. I want to just emphasize the last point you made, which is great. So we kept saying that what 
employers look for in the whiteboard exercise is understanding your thinking process, your design process, and understanding where you're most comfortable to operate in from a stage of the design processes perspective. But the third thing is they are probing for or trying to explore your collaboration skills. So your teamwork and how you would work in in a team and how you would this is another important observation that goes on in the background definitely so how well you collaborate and how how you deal with working with others so in this respect i feel it's extremely important that you engage with the other people in the room and i loved anfisa's point that i was also doing unconsciously when being part of the whiteboard exercise is that you want to act like you're already a team working together as much as possible. So by all means, lead the exercise, be in control, own your process, own the whiteboard challenge. It doesn't have to be like equal work or asking someone from the from the company side to come draw along with you. Although that might sometimes be a, a good idea as well, but uh, you're still in control of the whiteboard challenge and you still have to own it and it's still your task to be done, but the conversation should be happening. So definitely a very important point. They're also looking at your teamwork skills. So this is one of the takeaways that I have, and it's it's more tangible. A second takeaway is, is still building on what Anfisa just said. So don't go there thinking that you have to put on a performance. Like I said, don't act like you're on the stage and you have to like show them how wonderful your thinking process is and it's just unidirectional. Uh, you have to go there thinking that you will be emulating real life exercise, that you will just be showing them how you work and it's not, not a performance, it's more of a, maybe if you want a portfolio walkthrough, but like staged, so you will be talking about the same things, your design process, but in a different way, in a more practical way. But the goal is pretty much the same, to showcase your thinking process above anything else. And the third point would be, Still on the very practical side, I think it's very, very valuable indeed to practice whiteboard exercises, especially if you haven't been part of one and you are going for your first whiteboard exercise. It really doesn't hurt and it will be very helpful, at least the minimum for building more confidence and feeling like you well-informed when you go in the whiteboard exercise. So do practice, that goes for anything. So even when I have a research presentation that I have to uh, hold in front of my stakeholders, in front of my team, I rehearse it at least once, I go through it to understand if there are any points that are missing. If, treat your whiteboard exercise process like the UX process, uh, test it out, iterate, reflect back on the missed points, reflect on what you might have done better. Ask yourself if, if you're missing essential or critical points of what should go into, into showcasing your thinking process. So reflection and iteration and just improving on your process is something that you can do even for the whiteboard exercise. And I think that whiteboard exercises are a great way of understanding even just chemistry between the team and the person that's interviewing. So there, I know that, for example, take-home assignments are pretty controversial in the industry. They're pretty frowned upon, they're criticized, and they're a whole different animal. But whiteboard exercises, they're a great way of getting to understand how someone thinks and how you would work together with them as much as possible. Of course, 
it's still a pretty superficial staging of, of real life because you don't have all the constraints and all the stress and all the pressure and all the tension and everything. But but I've been in whiteboard exercises, and this is my last point, I've been in whiteboard exercises where the candidate would get super defensive. So every time we try to like ask or not even challenge, but just question about the rationale behind a particular design solution or something. And it was very playful and very kind and welcoming. And we, we understand that it's stressful to be interviewing. So we weren't aggressive in any way, but the candidate still uh, became very defensive and even sometimes a bit aggressive. And so there are some signs, <laughs> some red flags, if you want, about how collaboration might happen if, if, if in this playful, not extremely playful, but somewhat playful setup, uh, there's there are some signs that there's some sort of aggression or there's some sort of big communication issue because communication issues will definitely happen. You haven't yet optimized like in a team communication is is iterated on every day. So it takes time to calibrate and to optimize communication between a team. Uh, so it's natural that there will be like communicational hiccups or issues or misunderstandings in a, in a whiteboard challenge. But sometimes it's like it's something different. You just feel it that it's just like a communication break down fully and and you can tell that probably it's not it's not that the candidate isn't good but maybe it's just not the right chemistry so those are my top three ideas and i would very much love to hear anfisa's top three findings for today <laughs> you had a really great takeaways to be honest um and i especially to the last point i totally feel that it could be an issue especially if you're coming from like a freelancing background if you're transitioning from being a freelancer being like the previous episode we did talking about design team over one right if you have been working alone for so long and now you're transitioning to a product company where there are a couple of designers and a couple of people to work with and it might be like something new to you and it could be kind of really stressful i actually have been working with sometimes with like um we were delegating uh, some design parts and we were hiring like for independent contract designers to work on some parts of it. You can really see how much they were affected by working in a freelance setting. Like, I know my thing, you just give me time, I go home and I do my thing, my magic, and then I present to you. So that's like, sometimes it kind of affects you, especially if you have such a long history of working alone. And then it's very hard to communicate, to be engaged with the other team and and yes, it, it could be a challenge, especially if you've never worked with like a design team and now you, you have to shift really quickly and adjust really quickly to a new set of working with a design team. So yeah, practicing is something here that is inevitable for you. I would definitely recommend trying it out, especially if you're a freelancer transitioning to product design with a design team, you should practice it. But coming back to the takeaways that I have in my mind, I guess I'll pick up from just that. <laughs> Prepare is my first takeaway. Prepare in any format that is more convenient to you. If I were you, I would prepare FigJam structure if you're talking about the on, uh, like online setup. So again, I mean, obviously ask your team if you're planning to do this on Miro or in FigJam uh, and prepare then the structure in that particular tool or service. So having the board with already outlined sections with the timelines with maybe stickies already all around maybe even structure to like customer journey or whatever uh whatever tool you'll be using for that uh, maybe user story structure but prepare it 
uh, to accommodate for your process best of all, so you don't get to destruct during the, the, the challenge itself and don't get to lose the track and kind of go all over the place and kind of feeling lost and lose the control of it, I guess. And then obviously prepare the questions to kick off your project and maybe even if possible and like role play this challenge with somebody else. If you don't have anyone, you can imagine the white like you can find the toy. <laughs> we call like I know that for example, my husband he's a developer and he's saying that they have um, I think they call it like the rubber duck exercise when they have this just like a typical bathroom rubber duck on the table and they discuss the challenge with that rubber <laughs> rubber duck. Imagine that's a person. So imagine that you have a rubber duck and you're practicing this challenge talking to that rubber duck. <laughs> I don't know if it could be helpful, but that's all I've heard about. And in the age case, you can at least pretend that you're talking to someone as you're practicing. Now, the second takeaway here would be to maybe treat the whole structure process like as a whole. If you have one hour for a whole challenge and then the last 15 minutes is for like a questions, questions and discussions, I would also treat those last 15 minutes as a part of your challenge still, because, and again, I'm not going to talk, I'm going to talk here about the general structure, but it could be adjusted to whatever timeline you're given. But if you're having 45 minutes for an action and then 15 minutes for a debrief, treat those 15 minutes as a part of the whole design process in a miniature, meaning that reflecting on the project you just went through is a part of the learning and pretty much in all the teams you will be working with, most likely there will be a retrospective, there will be a debrief, there will be a part for learnings and iterating on how you can do it next time better. And so those 50 minutes at the end of the project or your challenge is still a part of the process. It's still a part when you show how you learn from your mistakes. And it's kind of important to become reflexive in this part. At least uh, ask your team for whatever concerns they might have had so you can also address those. And I guess the last thing would be, okay, so if you feel lost at any stage of the design challenge you're going through, if you feel like you lost, you're rambling around, you don't know where you're at, you feel like you're losing the control, you're starting to just like be all over the place. I actually tend to do that sometimes. <laughs> so I feel like I'm coming from my experience right now. So if at any point you're feeling lost and you're not in control anymore, uh, use design thinking as your compass. That usually helped me a lot. So for example, you're feeling lost and you need to reorient. And let's say it's like 30 minutes past your timeline. Uh, think, okay, where were I? What's the stage I'm at? If you always have a structure of like three, three stages in mind, right? Like understand and learn, converge, and then ideate. If you have those stages, use them as your compass, the design thinking as a compass. So you can always like remember where have you been what's the goal right now what's the objective what are you trying to figure out or do at this stage so you can always like reorient yourself in the process and um and even if you lost for a second maybe you can voice it i think it's normal we're all humans you can say i got nervous i'm sorry but where were i i was probably at that stage let me like get back to it so it's okay to recollect yourself and then reorient but recovering is an, it's an important part of what we are doing. And um, yeah, so I guess my last takeaway is that I would use design thinking structure as your compass. And if well, for some reason you get nervous, you can always reorient yourself to it. And that would be it. 
from my side, I guess. Um, let's wrap it up then. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to, for today's episode. We really hope it was useful. If it was, please rate us or any podcast platform of your choice. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on pretty much all the possible podcast platforms. And we do really appreciate your rating because it helps us uh, to keep it coming. To, it motivates us. It makes our day always. And uh, uh, if, yeah, if you want to support that, that's the way to do this. But also, if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to reach out to us either also on Spotify. You can find the cards under the episode and submit your question there. You can also find in the show notes the anonymous link where you can submit the feedback or the question. And obviously, the last thing, you can always reach out to us directly on our Instagrams. You can find the links in the show notes as well. We are always very open to the feedback and the next topics we should consider. And that would be it from our sites. Thank you so much and have a good day. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.